Thank you for reading God's Word. It's a joy to be able to hear it and to be able to receive it. And uh, I think the question that is before us uh, this morning from our text in John chapter 4 is, what stands in the way of you believing in Jesus? What stands in the way of you believing in Jesus? Moving on, the next question could be, what will it take for you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? What would it take for you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? The whole message of John's gospel can be summed up in his one purpose sentence, John 20, 31. It says this, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so for the past 13 weeks, we've been going through John chapter 1 through John John chapter 4. This ends our series in John for two weeks. We're going to pause. Next week, you get to hear Michael Foose, and after that, we get to hear from Don George, God's word through them. But we've been calling this series in John 1 through 4, Believe, because all we've been doing is just trying to unpack what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe in Jesus that we may have life. This theme of belief started as early as John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. John is going to warn the people that Jesus' own people, the Jews, are going to struggle to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Hear John's overview of the whole gospel. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What's surprising is what stands in the way of Jews believing in Jesus. What stands in the way of Jews believing in Jesus initially is actually the works of Jesus. In John chapter 2, Jesus begins to do miracles, which John calls signs. And these signs are so spectacular, but the crowd sees Jesus as nothing more than a miracle worker. In Christ, knowing what's going on in the hearts, actually says this in John 2, 24, right? He did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in all people. Now, in John chapter 3, we get Nicodemus, the theological scholar of his people. He should know better, but he follows suit. He only recognizes Jesus as a teacher, of course, who's come down from God because no one can do these signs unless God is with him. He can't see past the signs, He can only see the signs, no Savior. In contrast to Nicodemus, John chapter 4, we have the Samaritan woman who actually does come to true belief. She believes that he is the Messiah based upon his word. No sign, just a statement. He says to her, I who speak to you am he. So in contrast to Jesus' own people, the Jews, the Samaritan people have faith in Jesus as the Savior of the world. Listen to how they concluded chapter 4, verse 42. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Here we see again that belief that leads to life comes from taking God at His word. Belief that leads to life, 
comes from taking God at his word. There's no sign in Samaria recorded, but they see him as the Savior of the world. Signs in Galilee, but many see nothing more than spectacular and sensational displays of power. And the Jews' failure to believe who Jesus really is is something that continues all the way through John. Look at where we are this morning. John 4, the large numbers of the chapters, small numbers of verses. John 4, verse 43. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own town. So he, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. The idea here of welcoming him is that they welcomed him as a miracle worker, but they did not worship him as the Messiah. My friend, what will it take for you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Oh, if I saw a miracle, then I would believe. Oh, if I had an apparition of Jesus, if he appeared to me tonight in my bedroom, we all think seeing is believing, right? But there is no shortage of seeing. Jesus has been showering them with miracles. And yet seeing is not believing. John has been building his case that seeing is not b- believing. And he is going to push that right into our face with this tough question this morning. What stands in the way of you believing in Jesus? John ends this section with such clarity so there is no mistaking it. Belief is open to all, right? Genuine faith knows no boundaries. My friends, you are not at a disadvantage for having lived now and not having lived then to see it all. You are not at a disadvantage in the place in which you lived, having lived here instead of there. Belief that leads to life, comes by listening to and living under His Word. Let me say that again. That's the whole point of the sermon. Belief that leads to life comes by listening to and living under God's Word. You can move this morning from a signed faith to a simple faith of taking God at His Word. Come along with me and see this pilgrimage of one man, one individual, who moved from a crisis faith to a confident faith to a confirmed faith. That's our outline. This man moves from a crisis, right, to a confident faith, to it being completely confirmed for him. So let's trace these steps of faith for John's point, that belief that leads to life, comes by listening to and living under God's Word. Well, not everyone starts listening to and living under God's Word, do they? That's not where all of us start. Don't raise your hands. Maybe raise your hands. Raise your hands. How many of us came to Christ initially because of a crisis? You called out to God because of a crisis. Your first prayers, God help me, crisis, foxhole. Okay, look around. That's okay. It's okay. This is a good thing. You're not going to be shamed. After the service, you should talk to each other. You are not alone. Many of us start with just crying out in a crisis, I need help. God, help me. It is rooted in desperation. And this man, 
he comes in that kind of desperation. We're not the only ones. Look at John 4, 46 through 47. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water to wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. Why? His son was at the point of death. This man's faith begins to shift from off of himself and onto Christ in a crisis. It's rooted in desperation. Though this man is an official, his wealth, his influence, his power cannot heal his son. For John says, for he was at the point of death. This, this man's son was about to die. Therefore, when he left his boy, realized this parent, he knew this was his last chance. You can feel the sense of urgency. The official hears that Jesus is in Galilee, and he rises and runs to Capernaum some 20 miles to find Jesus. And this man, who is used to giving orders, is now begging. He went to him, Jesus, and asked, Greek word for begging, come down, heal my son. He knew this was his last chance. For if Jesus was the wrong choice, by the time he would get home, his son would be dead. So he goes to Christ in desperation. He's desperate, but he's still a thinking man. His faith is built at least on facts. He has heard that Christ has actually done miracles. If you can't remember two chapters prior, John wants to help you. In verse 46, it says, Jesus is in Galilee. Oh, by the way, that's where he had made the water to wine. He's done miracles before. And so this man has heard the reports. The testimonies have paved the way for him to seek Jesus out. So notice that his crisis faith is still a thinking faith. He, he believes that Jesus can do a miracle. His request would make no sense unless he actually believes that Jesus could heal his son. Now, that's not a bad place to start. But that's not where you want to stay in your faith. For the official doesn't quite get who Jesus is yet. He expects Jesus to be a miracle worker. And so he says, Jesus, you must come down to heal my son. He's thinking of Jesus as just an uber-qualified doctor, who we hope Lydia would be. But if you wanted Lydia to heal your child, you would say, I need to get Lydia to where my son is. You need to be in proximity. you got to come along with me or else this isn't going to work. But Jesus has to rebuke him. And Jesus rebukes him and basically says this, Hey, friend, your expectations of who I am are too little. He's going to give him a rebuke that sounds a lot like the same rebuke he gave his mother at the wedding in Galilee where he turned the water into wine. And the man needs a rebuke because not believing correctly is a matter of life and death. Not believing correctly is a matter of life and death. And so in verse 48, Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now that seems rather cruel. It was a fun discussion this week at our dinner table with devotions on, did Jesus not take pastoral care 101? He could learn something from Pastor Pat. I mean, come, my son's hurting. 
Well, you would not believe unless you see signs and wonders. It's a no. And it's not a no, I'm busy. It's a no, I'm fed up with this whole attitude that unless you see me do something crazy, you're not going to believe. But Jesus isn't just talking to this man. He's talking to the crowd standing by. Because the you of unless you see signs is plural. He's referring to all y'all, as we say in the South. You guys, as we say up in the North. He's saying everyone has the wrong expectations of Jesus. It started with Mary in John chapter 2, verse 23, when she said to Jesus, Jesus... They have no wine. And he looks at her and says, Woman, mom, ma'am, what has that to do with me? What you want from me is not why I am here. It's not that your expectations are too high. I can turn this water into wine. It's that your expectations are too low. For I am not here to be the greatest showman. I am here to be the Savior of the world. And to get that to register, Jesus has to give an answer that we don't really want. Pfft. Unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. I think we have to really try to figure out what this means for us. It's like this. Have you ever tried to make a phone call to a doctor with a sense of urgency because it's really important? And after you get through all the automated options, press one for English, press one for Press one for. If this is an emergency, call 911. I mean, after you get through all of that, you finally get a real person, only to then be said, Thanks for calling. Can you please hold? <laughs> Never has please hold brought out what was really in there because we didn't expect please hold. And Jesus, at times, as we come to him with our needs, says, Please hold. And he's testing you, exposing that your expectations are too low, inviting you into a deeper faith where it takes him at his word for life. He wants to see if this man who is in the crowd is going to be like the crowd that only sees signs to believe. He wants to see if he's going to be more like a Nathaniel who hears, you saw me under a tree, I believe. Who is like the Samaritan woman who hears, I am the Messiah and believes. He wants to know, are you in the crowd? Or are you like the people that hear my word and respond in faith for life? Well, this man, the good news is, he's not put off. He has some grit. He has some perseverance to his faith. He has some stick to -itiveness. This man's faith grows from a crisis faith to a confident faith in 49 through 50. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my, father before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. His faith matures in trouble. His faith grows from what Jesus can do to what Jesus says. The, the text climatically ends in verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. This man believed the word that Jesus spoke and went on his way. Let's just stop there for a second. Here's the principle. 
The life we long for comes by listening to and living under the spoken word of Jesus. The life we long for comes by listening to and living under the word spoken by Jesus. The life he longed for came to him and his son by listening to and living under the word. It didn't need a sign because according to Jesus, whatever he declares in Cana can already be happening in Capernaum. What he says here is powerful for there. This should be a transforming moment for you in the service. You need to know that if Jesus speaks a word for your welfare in the Father's ear in heaven, it is effectuated here on earth. You only need his word. I give you life. You don't need to sit in a room and hope that you have an apparition of Jesus. All you need, Jesus, is to speak a word. A word of promise in Jesus' mouth is a word of transforming power. So the man believed and departed. And here we have the clearest expression in the New Testament of what is Christian faith. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I would want you to know what is it to have faith. It is believing the word of Jesus. It is trusting in what Jesus says. It is a deeper level of faith. The man has moved from a sign faith to a word faith, from a crisis faith to a confident faith. He's not like the rest of the crowd any longer who won't believe unless they see a sign. He's different. Jesus does not give this man a sign, but only a statement, a word to trust. For belief that gives life comes by listening to and living under God's word. My friends, when was the last time you'd take somebody at their word? When was the last time you had to take somebody at their word? What did it feel like? I think my word picture is a trust fall. Have you been to those youth cramps? Where they ask you to get up on stage, and then they're down below are all these people that are going to catch you. And you're supposed to turn around backwards Lock your legs, keep them stiff, and you're supposed to shift your center of balance off of yourself. Right? Go ahead. Just think about that and let them catch you. Some of us look at who it is. It's Jim Batchelder. It's Pat Testerman. And we do a backflip and we're just, yeah, they're going to catch me. Others of times you look at me and you go, he's kind of goofy. You look at Nate Alford and you go, he's done some tricks. And you say, oh, I, I, know, I know they can catch me, but <laughs> will they catch me? And so you just barely shift your center of balance. Friends, it's not necessarily where you start or how strong your faith is, but it is ultimately where it ends in that you shift your faith from off of yourself and onto Christ. And taking him at his word is just like that trust fall. Well, this man listened to the word. He lived under the word. And we know that he did that because he walked back to Capernaum. It's a long way home though, isn't it? 20 miles. If I was him, I think the moment I left Jesus would be the moment I picked up that straggler doubt. And he's going to just walk with me for the next 20 miles. Why didn't I press him more? All the questions going through his head, right? 
why didn't I ask Jesus how it was going to be done? What am I going to tell my wife? Men, do you know that when you are supposed to have that conversation and uh, you're going to come home, you're going to give a report, and your wife is going to say, well, did you ask him? Well, did you ask him? Well, did you ask him? Well, did you? And you ask none of those things? Yeah. And so here he's thinking, I should have asked, what's the time frame? When can he resume his normal activities? When can he return to school? How much did this cost? Will it be a follow-up visit? I don't know, dear. I just said, come down. He said, sure, and I left. <laughs> can we relate? Okay. Whatever Laura wants to know, I have just not ever asked those questions. Oh, man. My friend, have no doubt that this man doubted on the way home. But in the end, his crisis faith moves to a confirmation of faith as he takes that confident step back home. Look at 51 through 52. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Notice he didn't ask what. He asked when. When did it happen? When was the turning point? That's his first question. Why? Why is that his first question? I think he's connecting the life that he longed for to the spoken word of Jesus. Look at 53. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. A son who was on the brink of death was pulled back by a word which the dad decided to trust. The story wonderfully confirms that belief, which brings life, comes from listening to and living under God's word. When he comes home, he shares the word, and we are told, and he himself believed in all his household. He's like the Samaritan woman who goes back to her village and shares the word, and everybody believes, and here it is the power of the word that his whole household believes. And this was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. A sign that starts with death, ends in life, all hinging on a word to believe. For when God speaks, it comes to pass. That is all it has ever taken from the first moment of creation till now. Christ can speak a word and it is done. At a distance of 20 miles, friends, it could have been a distance of 20 million light years. It would not have mattered. For Jesus to speak a word and life is brought forth. Here we have a beautiful, touching example of Jesus coming into a life of an individual and how he brings life through his word. Jesus causes his faith to emerge, his faith to grow, his faith to become visible, his faith to become strong. And it's at this moment that the father discovers that his son was healed at the very hour that Christ spoke the word. He comes into a new realization of who this Christ is. Not just of what Christ can do, not just of what Christ has said, but now who he really is. He has authority over all illness. He is not limited by distance or time. He has power in all areas. He operates in the realm of the impossible. My dear friend, this ought to give you great confidence 
Jesus doesn't have to be present in Capernaum. If you have the word of Christ, you have the presence of Christ. And if he says a word in the Father's ear, his will on earth will be done as it is in heaven. Why might this story be significant to you? What does Jesus have to offer people who run to him in desperation? What claim does Jesus have at his disposal for any man, any woman, any child who knows what it is to be desperate? Life. That's what he has to offer. Jesus has life at his disposal for you and for those you love. Think about it. This man was desperate for the mercy of Jesus to rest upon his son. The question is, how will I get what Jesus has to offer given where I live? Where do I live? Loudon, Capernaum. Where do I live? Now, not then. My friend, you are not at a disadvantage for having lived here instead of there. You are not at a disadvantage for having lived now as opposed to then. For if you run to him in desperate need, he does not need to physically come to you. All you need is a receptive heart to his word. A word of promise can reach you where you are in transforming power. For belief that brings life, comes by listening to and living under God's word. My non-Christian friend, we're so glad you're here. We expect you to be asking tough questions, but we want to ask you one back. What stands in the way of you taking Jesus at his word? A Christian is someone who takes Jesus at his word, and Jesus is asking you this morning, are you going to take me at my word or not? Taking me at my word is going to bring life. This man and everyone else in the Bible that has taken God at his word gets a fresh new start. Samaritan woman, a couple weeks ago. Do you need more? Will you not believe? Well, it doesn't just stop on the day of your salvation. A Christian continues to take God at his word and continues to live under his word to continue to experience life at its fullest for the rest of life. So faith family, if you really believed that belief that brings life comes by listening to and living under his word, you would hang on his every word. If we really believe that, you would build your life on his word because they are words of life. So faith family, where do you need to say, I trust you? Because you said it. You said it. That settles it. I'll take you at your word. Are you taking God at his word when it comes to your sexual ethics? Young people, are you dating a non-Christian? God's word says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What fellowship has light with darkness? Faith, are you taking God at his word when it comes to your relational health? When God's word says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. 
Or when God says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Are you taking God at His word? Are you taking God at His word when it comes to your purpose in life? When God's word says, go and make disciples of all nations. What does God want me to do? Wherever you live, work, sleep, eat, shop, rest, play, go and make disciples of all nations. Faith family, are you taking God at His word when it comes to our faith family? Many were baptized and were added to the church. Peter preaches, repent and be baptized. Take God at His word. Might be having a baptism May 22nd, May 29th, somewhere in there. If you've not been baptized, take Him at His word. If you're not a part of this local church, would you like to be a part of a local church? They continued in the apostles' teaching and doctrine and sharing one another. Be a part for belief that leads to life comes from listening to and living under God's word. Will you take God at his word? If you receive the word of Christ as a command over your life, you will be made well. Not just for this life, but for eternity. Let's pray. Father God, what we know not, we pray that you would teach us. What we have not, would you give us? We pray that we would be a people that are known for cherishing your word, listening to, and living under it. We need your spirit to illumine us the word, to give us that sincere desire as newborn babes to crave your word, to be satisfied by it, and to live on your word as opposed to the bread that comes from this earth. We pray that you'd renew our strength to remain steadfast, that we could move from a crisis faith to a confident faith in you and your spoken word, that you said it, and that settles it. Lord, we pray that we'd lean not in our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge you, that you would direct our path by your word. We ask this to the praise of your glorious grace. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, family, we get to sing, It Is Well. You will be made well. In this song, as the praise team comes up, It Is Well, it tells a story from start to finish. It ends with us in glory, where our faith will be made sight. But until then, we have to live by listening to and living under His Word. And as we do that, we will find that we can say, no matter what has happened, it is well, because God has spoken it, He has said it. That's what I need for my life. Let's stand and sing it as well together.